Hi, welcome to The Apologist Bookshelf. I'm Gary Zacharias. The book I'm pulling down today is called Relativism by Greg Kokel. And if you know much about me, you know that I really like Kokel's work. He has two more uh, up-to-date books, I guess you'd say, The Story of Reality and Tactics, that most people are talking about. But this is his first important book that people are still impressed with called Relativism, co-written with uh, Francis Beckwith, Frank Beckwith. And I wanted to look at that one today, and I do eventually want to get to the story of reality and tactics. Tactics just came out with a uh, 10th anniversary edition, and uh, Kokel did a great job with that as well. But uh, this one is really good. It, you know, he's talking about the way relativism has grown. It's become such a dominant issue of our day, and uh, he wrestles with that. And he and Beckwith start off by surveying the rising tide of relativism, started in the university and academic circles, but good grief, it's filtered down to so much of our lives. And he explores in this book the inconsistencies that are in the relativist position, and then he suggests specific approaches that could be used when you're interacting with with people. So that's what I kind of wanted to do today. It's got, of course, uh, uh, some, some meaty material to talk about here, so I'm not going to do it all. I'm just going to pick a maybe a chapter, a part of a chapter. It has about 170 pages. So um, it's, a, it's a good read. It's something you can really chew on. It's a serious book, but not difficult. Uh, it's easy to grasp, but good information. They start off, he and Beckwith start off quoting Alan Bloom in the opening chapter. It's called The Death of Truth. And in Alan Bloom's book called The Closing of the American Mind, Here's his opening comments. There's one thing a professor can be absolutely certain of. Almost every student entering the university believes or says he believes that truth is relative. And he talks about there's a real revolution of thought going on. He says it's the death of truth. He said the idea that any particular thing can be known for sure is being tossed out. People have lost confidence that statements of fact can, can be anything besides just opinion. In fact, it's become... When you say the word truth, it's really, well, that's true for you and nothing more. He says the problem is when truth dies, he says the subspecies in there among it would be ethics. Those things perish with it. If truth can't be known, then moral truth becomes incoherent. Ethics are relative. Whatever is right for you, you know, may not be right for me. And he says people are exchanging that moral question, what is good? He says that's starting to go away for the pleasure question, which is, what feels good? He says, and that opens up the door. When Once self-interest rules, it has a huge impact on behavior, especially how we treat others. The notions of human respect and dignity depend on real moral truth out there. But without it, why should we self-sacrifice on behalf of others? We can discard people when they're expensive or they cramp our lifestyles. If there's no truth, nothing has transcendent values. He says you end up with an anything-goes mentality. And uh, he gives some examples of pretty horrific of uh, people who have done some awful things once uh, truth disappears. He said ours is a generation that's institutionalized moral relativism. And we hear things like, who are you to pass judgment, we say. So he says it's a chaotic and confusing world of moral relativism. He said it's not really moral. But I wanted to skip, so that's his opening chapter. I want to skip to one of his uh, last chapters, chapter 14, Tactics to Refute Relativism. So what do you do when you're encountering a relativist? How, 
How do you live that way? Well, nobody can live that way. He says people can wax eloquent when they're talking about moral relativism, but boy, they'll complain if somebody cuts in front of them in line. They'll object to the unfair treatment they get at work, and they'll denounce injustice in the legal system. Yet all of these things are meaningless, you know, in the world of moral relativism. So he said, all right, he said, what you want to do is pull out some tactics when you're dealing with a relativist. Number one is show the contradictions of relativism. He says they end up, the, the relativist ends up in self-refuting statements. You know what a self-refuting statement is. That's when, if I was to say, I, can't, I cannot speak a word of English. Well, that statement just blew up because I just contradicted it because I did speak in English. Or if I say, Every, every English sentence must be no uh, longer than five words. Well, I just spoke an English sentence and it was longer than five words, so it self-destructs. So he said relativism is self-destructive or self-refuting when people uh, talk about that. He said people get stuck in their own objections. So when they say to you, hey, you shouldn't judge others, you're being intolerant. Well, Notice what they're doing. They're judging you. They want moral rules to apply to others, but not to themselves. Huh. It says that you're going to hear things like, well, you shouldn't force your morality on me. You can just ask, why not? Well, because I don't believe in forcing morality. So he's playing an example here, right? So somebody says to you, you shouldn't force your morality on me. You dealing with a tactical approach here as you talk to the relativist says, why not? Because I don't believe in forcing morality. Your response, well, if you don't believe in it, by well, then don't do it. Especially don't force that moral view of yours on me. What about this one? Here's another exchange. You shouldn't push your morality on me. Well, I don't know what you mean by that statement. You mean I have no right to opinion? Well, yeah, you've got a right to an opinion, but don't force it on anyone. Is that your opinion? Yes. Then why are you forcing it on me? Oops. Here's another example. Don't push your morality on me. Oh, you don't believe in morality? Yeah, but I believe in my morality, not yours. Well, how do you decide what's moral? Well, people should decide individually. That's what I'm doing, and I'm deciding you're immoral. Live and let live is your value, not mine. <laughs> Here's another one. What if people say to you, who are you to say? The answer to that is, according to Kokel, who are you to say, who are you to say? He says, well, wait a minute, we need to unpack this a little bit. That person is challenging your right to correct another, yet that person is correcting you. So your response basically is saying, who are you to correct my correction if correcting in itself is wrong? So I don't expect others to obey me just because I say so. I'm trying to appeal to reason. Another tactic he, he suggests is press their hot button. He says that's a really simple way to refute relativists. He said, find out what they really feel strongly about racism or animal rights or intolerance or gay bashing, and then relativize it. So here's an example. Um, he says a 17-year-old high school student told Coco that he'd been talking to a teacher that claimed all morality is relative. How do I refute her? Greg says, steal her stereo. And that's exactly what will happen. Oh, no, you can't do that. You're going to hear something like that. You can't do that. Uh, it says, uh, when evil strikes close to home, the relativist is going to say, wait a minute, that's not right. He said, if you're encountering somebody who thinks he or she is a relativist, listen, you're going to hear moral words like should creep in the con uh, conversation. And when they do, he says, expose that inconsistency. 
He says morality is built in. We all share the idea of morality. Okay, he gives an example here. I, I love this one. He says uh, he had a physical therapist at one time. He said he was a nice guy. And uh, he, he was working with Greg one day, and he said, I, I, he said, you know, that's what bugs me about Christians. He says, you're, you're, you're nice, but he said, then you start getting judgmental. Well, what's wrong with that, Coco said. Well, it's not right to judge other people. Well, Bill, he's just coming up with the name there. Well, Bill, if it's wrong to judge people, why are you judging me? He says, well, that stopped him in his tracks. So he says, well, you're right. I was judging you. Uh, how about this? It's okay to judge people as long as you don't force your morality on them. That's when you cross the line. Coco says, okay, can I ask you a question? Yeah. Is that your morality? Yeah. Then why are you pushing your morality on me? Uh-oh. He tried a couple more starts. He just couldn't get anywhere. And finally he said, this isn't fair. Coco said, why not? I can't find a way to say it so it sounds right. Bill, it doesn't sound right because it isn't right. It's self-refuting. And uh, so that's a good tactic. The other one he says is force the tolerance issue. He said uh, a relativist commits to tolerance. But he says you can't tolerate others unless you disagree with them. See, that's the essential element of tolerance that has been lost these days. It's been distorted. So tolerance involves, if you look in the dictionary, permitting or allowing a conduct or point of view you think is wrong while respecting the person. So he says the classical definition of tolerance, you might call it civic tolerance, can be equated with the word respect. And respect is the person. You respect the person, but you don't necessarily respect the, the uh, point that they're getting across. He says, uh, we don't have to tolerate the idea, we tolerate the person. But he said, people get all mixed up on this idea of tolerance. He said, the idea today is if you reject their behavior or their ideas, we're accused of rejecting the person. That's confusing. He says, it's totally wrong. To say we're intolerant of the person because we disagree with their idea is confused. He says, uh, Historically, our culture has emphasized tolerance of all people, but not tolerance of all behavior. Now he gives some example, pornography, for example. Another tactic, he says, have a ready defense. He says, get ready to take the offense. So he said, if you start critiquing relativism, somebody may say to you, well, whose values are right? And uh, he gives an example of a, a person that posed that question. So who's to judge what's right or wrong? He says, we are. We're to do so on the basis of the best reasoning we can bring forth with sympathy and understanding. I thought that made sense. What about a classroom where a teacher is talking about relativism? And a professor says, well, okay, it sounds like you believe in moral absolutes. What are they? But see, the professor has changed the subject. That person challenged the, the uh, class uh, person raising the issue in class challenges us to defend our view, but we haven't expressed a view. And you can say to the professor, I ask a fair question, you change the subject, throwing it back on me. I'm not making a claim about morality, but you're teaching that morality is relative because you think cultures have different values. I'm just asking if that works. Could you tell me how your conclusion follows? Okay, so I like that. Um, he also talks about uh, the bankruptcy at the end of the chapter. The bankruptcy of relativism, he says, it's not a true moral system. It's self-refuting. It's undermined by serious counterexamples. It makes morality unintelligible. He says, it's not even tolerant. 
He says the principle of tolerance makes sense only in a world in which moral absolutes exist, and here's one of those absolutes. All people should respect others' rights to differ. Finally, he ends the chapter by this. He calls the consequences of relativism. He says people are drowning in a sea of moral relativism. He says it destroys the conscience. It produces people without scruples because there's no moral impulse to improve. He says it's self-centered and egoistic. Do your own thing is fine for us, but we don't want others to be relativists. They, we expect them to treat us okay. He says it's also dangerous. He has a quotation here from Adolf Hitler. I freed Germany from the stupid and degrading fallacies of conscience and morality. We will train young people before whom the world will tremble. He says, well, regarding morality, we only have two possibilities, either morality or non-morality, either moral objectivism or moral relativism. There are no other choices. So this is an important book. And even though uh, you'll probably think of Coco more for the tactics book, The Story of Reality, relativism is uh, powerful. It's something, uh, one of his books you ought to take a look at. So relativism, feet firmly planted in midair. Love that subtitle there. Okay, well, thank you for uh, listening today. And that's uh, Greg Kokel, K-O-U-K-L, Greg Kokel, and a book on relativism.